You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So as we dive into our uh, message this week, we're continuing on. We're in week three of what was he thinking? And so last week, or the first week, Emmy and Darby uh, talked about what was what did Jesus think he was doing? And what he thought he was doing was restoring relationship. He was restoring relationship between God and man. And we looked at Genesis 15 and the covenant that was made there. And he and Jesus was restoring relationship. And then last week, um, I got a chance to share with you guys a little bit about where is the church and how appropriate of a message when we talk about the church and us being dispersed in our homes. And we talked about from tabernacle uh, to temple to Jesus Christ. And then even Jesus saying, hey, I'm, I need to leave because I'm bringing the advocate, the Holy Spirit. The church is going to be within you and that we are the church. It's not a building. And what a beautiful time to think and know and believe that and act like it. And thank you for acting like it. And so this week, we're talking about uh, uh, week three, what was Jesus thinking? And we're calling it the new exodus. I'm talking about the new exodus. And this is really uh, a story about salvation. And I know salvation is a churchy word. And when I think about salvation, I think about a place or a time where I realized my need for Jesus and so, uh, when the word salvation in our world as, as, as Christians, uh, we think it's a very like Jesus word. Like obviously that just came about now and in the last couple thousand years. But I want us to look at it from a little different perspective. Salvation, I guess we, I'd ask you, would it, would it surprise you to know that 2000 years before Jesus was on the scene, before his birth, Salvation was a very real word and it meant a lot to Hebrews. And if you asked a Jew about salvation, if you asked, uh, what does that mean? What is salvation? Immediately, they would take you to the book of Exodus. And it's kind of like, like we're, we're around a campfire together and they would tell this story passionately to their kids. This is not, you know, where did we come from? This is not ancestry.com. Where did we come from? How did we get here? Tell us the story. And Exodus is the story of salvation. So uh, let's pretend that we're sitting, you're probably sitting on your couch, nice and comfortable. And let's pretend maybe you have a fire uh, going if it's chilly uh, here. Obviously, I think it is chilly enough to have a fire going. And we're going to tell a story. We're going to tell a story about salvation. We're going to talk about what does this look like? And there's characters in this story. We have Pharaoh, this, this, this wicked tyrant. And Pharaoh, let my people go, Moses says, but no, he won't let them go. And they have to make bricks. And they make bricks until they die. Year after year after year after year after year, generation after generation. And so these, this, this God's people needed hope. They cried out and they didn't even know who they were crying out to. They were desperate. And God, the creator, heard their cry. God hears our cry now. And so he sent them a deliverer. He sent them Moses or Moshe. And Moses came and delivered his people. And through Moses, God used his mighty acts and wonders and signs. And he knocked down their gods one after another, after another, after another. And so we have 
We have the tyrant Pharaoh. Uh, we have the cry of the oppressed. We have the deliverer. We have mighty works that happens. And then we needed a sacrifice. And they needed a sacrifice. And they're telling their kids, so at this time, we had to take a lamb and we slaughtered it. And we took the, the blood and we put it over our doorpost and the sacrifice. And by doing this, we were passed over where we get the Passover that we're celebrating. And so they had to believe and trust. They had to trust that God had them. That they weren't all going to die by taking this giant risk. And I guess that comes to me today now. It's very appropriate for this big faith moment in our lives and in our church. Do you trust him? Do I trust him? So this miraculous ragtag group of slaves walked out of Egypt as free people. They walked out through uh, the wilderness and they were looking for God and God was there. Like we talked about last week in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. And they were, they were looking for God and God met them and he delivered them and he made a covenant with them. He made a covenant with them and he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And suddenly these former slaves, they had a future. They had hope. And how many of us want hope? They had a future and they had a hope. They had a role to play and we have a role to play. He gave them a job. He gave them a vocation. And he said, let's passionately partner. I want you to help me bring heaven crashing into earth in times of abundance and in times of scarcity. I am the Lord who provides. And didn't he just provide enough? I know as we think about it as a nation and, and where we're at right now, we have a God who provides. He provides what we need. Now, what I think I need and what he thinks I need may be different, but he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He promises that. So then he says, hey, uh, Israelites, here's how we're supposed to act. This is what we're supposed to do. Don't live like the pagans and run out and hoard all the toilet paper. Unless you plan on giving it all away. Be people of faith. Be people of confidence. Real life. Be the light. Let's put him on display. Let's, let's take this time to expand the territory. I, I, this came over me this week. I got a privilege of meeting with a bunch of our other real life pastors and we were talking about things and people were looking like, well, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? And you know what I think? You know what God led me to this week about what this is going to do this time in history? This is going to rapidly explode our church growth. When people think that not being able to gather in just a big building is going to hurt the church, it is going to make the church flourish. And I think God is forcing a bunch of churches, a bunch of, a bunch of faiths to jump on board and step out on faith together and know that the church is not a building. Because you see, 50 years ago, the building was a white cinder block building that sat 150 people. That had a really steep roof that had a cross on the top and had a basement below. How many churches look like that anymore? And our church is starting to look different now. 
And as much sometimes as I get frustrated with technology and how technology has changed things and been used for evil, God is going to use it for amazing goodness. We're going to be able to communicate continually to communicate really well. I had a home group on my computer screen, and it was so good to see their face. My wife was like tearing up. She's like, it's so good to see your faces because we're going to miss that relationship. So we can have social distancing, but that doesn't mean we lose social intimacy. We need each other more than ever now. We're just receiving each other differently than we've ever received each other before. So God said that you have a job. You, I want to partner with you. And then he talks about this. He, God promises them an inheritance. Just like the Garden of Eden, he gives them this new thing called the promised land. And these, and, and they're all around telling the story. They can't find, he gave us this new thing called a promised land. And we're going to go there. Not only are we free, right? We are free, but our God is a God who provides. And he provided us a place to live, a place to grow our crops, a place to raise our family. He provided us great opportunity. Isn't that great? So this epic story defines salvation. In the eyes of a joy. This story of Exodus is salvation. This was their salvation moment. Being rescued from bondage. Freed from the people and the things that held them in slavery and bondage. I will be your God and you will be my people. So we think about what do we look for in this Exodus story. We have the tyrant. We have the deliverer. We have the feats and wonders and plagues that people were set free. We have a sacrifice of the Passover. We have a vocation, a partnership, a calling to partner with God. We have them uh, living with God again. He came to dwell with them again. We have a promised inheritance. And that's what we see when we look to the uh, Exodus story. Woohoo! In the great words of Tammy Summers, shout out to you, Tammy, if you're watching in Florida. Woohoo! Um, so you think like, awesome, this is great. This is super cool that, that this happened, right? But, but it's not the end of the story. Because over the next 1,400 years, God looks at these people. And a lot of times he's, he's pretty heartbroken. Because they didn't look any different than their pagan neighbors. And so I got to ask us this question. How do we look at this time? When the eyes are upon you as a Christian, how do you look? Do we look different than people who are worried about the stock market and every little thing and what their future is going to be like? Is the American dream more important than God's dream that he's put on your heart? You know, time after time again, 16 books in the Old Testament record efforts of the prophets warning, repent, you veered off course, return, come back. And they didn't. And they didn't. And he would hand them over to foreign tyrants once again. They chose to go into exile. Let's jump into our text. We're going to spend a bunch of time in Jeremiah. Be Jeremiah 30, 30s, 32-ish. So let's jump into the text together. Get your Bibles out on your thing. Get ready to highlight. Dive in. No, don't go highlight in your TV screen or your computer screen. Get your Bibles out and let's dive in together. So listen to the cry from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32. Uh, here we go. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord the God of all mankind, is anything too hard for me? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I am about to give the city into the hands of the Babylonians 
and to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who will capture it. And the Babylonians who are attacking the city will come and set it on fire. They will burn it down, along with the houses where the people aroused my anger by burning incense on the roofs to Baal and by pouring out drink offerings to others, other gods. Why did you leave me? Why did you leave me? The people of Israel and Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Indeed, the the people of Israel have done nothing but arouse my anger with what their hands have made, declares the Lord. From the day it was built until now, this city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. They are, they, their kings and their officials, their priests and the prophets, the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, they turn their backs to me and not their faces. They turn their backs to me and not their faces. Are we turning our backs to God? Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. They set up their vile images in their house that bears uh, my name, and they defiled it. They built high places for Baal in the valley of uh, Ben-Hinnon uh, to sacrifice their sons and daughters to, to, to Moloch. Though I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such detestable things and so make Judah sin. And you hear the cry of the prophet what God is telling him. And so once again, the people find themselves in bondage, in exile. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon drags the people into captivity, uh, but this time it's due to their own sin. They chose. And I have to ask myself, as I was preparing for this this week, I have to ask myself a couple questions. I said, Josh, where have I put myself in bondage? Where am I exiling myself away from God? What did I turn to during this time? Am I turning to to, to Netflix? Uh, uh, We have a golden opportunity. You have to stay in your home for 21 days. There's not enough good stuff on Netflix to watch. What if you take this time and get real familiar with your Bible? What if you take this time And get real familiar with your family. So I had to ask myself those questions. I hope you do too. Jeremiah 34, 18 through 20 says, Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat uh, like the calf they cut in two and walked between its pieces. The blood covenant we talked about. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walked between the pieces of the calf, I will deliver into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. Remember, it's God who walked between the pieces. We talk about this often, but there's God's part. There's my part. And there's their part. What's your part in this time? What's your part in this crisis? Because is God going to do his part? It seems like he always does his part. The question is, are we going to do our part? I can't control and you can't control what the government does or doesn't do with their part. I got to work on my part and my part is seeing people 
It's seeing the needs of the community. It's making sure that I look a lot like how God would try and look and not look like the pagans. Believe and actually act like I have a God who provides and takes care of me, and I know he does. So remember, their job was to partner with God in this restoration of all mankind. Yet they are now worshiping these pagan gods. Jeremiah 32 says, You performed signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have gained the renown that is still yours. You brought your people, Israel, out of Egypt with signs and wonders. By a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror, you gave them this land. You had sworn to give their ancestors a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not understand or they did not uh, do what you commanded them to do. And so you brought all this disaster on them. Yep. That's what he did. Now, is God, is this vindictive God? Is he just mad? Well, because you people won't serve me. Uh, you're going back to hell. No, that's not who our God is. His promise that he exiles for the purpose of bringing people back to Israel, back to himself again, because his ways were better than Baal's ways. His ways were better than whatever God's ways they were going to, other, other, the other little G's, the other little gods they were going to follow. That was going to lead to a path of destruction. And so as any good father, he's going to ask you to say, hey, no, no, this way is the right way, and we're going to do it. So time after time, God promises that this exile is only for a short time. And who chooses the exile? Well, God, did God leave you or did you leave him? And I know times when I think God wasn't with me, he was with me. I just couldn't see him. You know, they, they chose the exile. And we do too. But he loves us too much to leave us. He loves us too much to leave us. Jeremiah 32, verse 38. So here we're coming back to this. And Jeremiah 32 says, They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me. And then it will go well for them and for their children after them. Why? Why does he want to give us singleness of heart and action? Why does he want us to fear him, to revere him, to, to do what he says? So it'll go well for our children. And in verse 40 says, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and all my soul. How merciful. How gracious of a God. Despite the lack of, of loyalty, God shockingly decides to enter into a covenant with the, his people again. How many people needed a do-over? How many people needed it to happen again? I'm a little hard-headed. Sometimes he has to tell me things multiple times. So what did Jesus think he was doing at this Passover in 30-something A.D.? Thousands of years left. What, what was he doing? He thought it was finally, for the last time, 
leading God's people out of bondage and back into fellowship with him. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16 says, uh, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. I will fulfill the good promise. He's got good promises. And in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He's describing Jesus, a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and is right in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. So isn't it interesting that Passover week, 2,000 years removed from when God rescued the Hebrews from the bondage of Egypt, here we have Jesus coming in and he's riding in on a donkey. Jesus is leading the new exodus. That's what he thinks he's doing. Luke 19, 41 through 44. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it and he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is what Jesus is seeing as he's approaching the cross. So let's go back and look at this second exodus and see if we have the players in play and see if we can match them up. So number one, do we have a tyrant ruling over Israel at the time? We assume that Jesus is referring to Rome, but he's really referring to the evil powers behind Rome. See, Rome's just a figurehead, but what's behind that that holds the people in bondage and in death? What's behind that for us today? The powers of sin and death and chaos and rebellion. Everything which mankind has willingly embraced. I don't know. Does it have anything to do with money? Does it have anything to do with sex? Does it have anything to do with power or addictions? That, that bondage that holds on to us today? Any of those have just left us? Because that was like 2,000 years ago, right? So none of us have those issues. No, Jesus came to defeat the powers that keep us in our sin. And that's not where it stopped. Yes, he saved us on the cross. Yes, he, he took upon that sin, but that's not even where it stopped. And once again, we're people crying out, not even knowing who that we needed to deliver. And creator God is on the scene. Where the promised land is is is. Desperate. What is it like for us when people are desperate now? How about us, real life? What are we doing? We're on the scene. What does it look like? Jesus did feats of wonder, healing and feeding and calming the waves and all of his miracles and all those things like, whoa. And then we had this, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed and then he becomes the sacrifice on the cross. Jesus himself becomes the Passover lamb. And then we think about vocation and how are we to live things out? What does it look like for us to live things out? Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He 
talks about go with them a second mile. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And he prayed for them as they nailed him to the cross. He came us. He came to us to show us how to live. And he came to show us how to die. And then not merely just uh, heaven and earth joining or heaven and earth crashing, but it's God's space intersecting with our space again. He brings that. God's space intersecting with our space again. And God once again would live amongst his people. He brings this down. We're looking for the where is this God in this temple and all those things. And he brings the Holy Spirit to us at, at Pentecost. God living with us. Jesus knew he was leading a new exodus. That's what he thought he was doing by his death on the cross. It was a new exodus. He was leading the world out of bondage and back into the presence of God. And that's what we're called to do. So on the cross, Jesus offered a supreme example of love. The ultimate display of what love will do. And in doing so, he transformed the world. And he's asking you and me to do that. He's asking us to live like he lived. That's what being a Christian means. It means to be Christ-like a little bit, like Christ, a little Christ. We want to be Christ-like, live like he's living. Uh, you believe that he that God provides like he provides. Jesus' death is considered the gold standard of what it looks like to love. John 15, 13, no one has love greater than this to lay down your life for your friends. And right now, sometimes we're doing that. There are people on the front of the medical lines dealing with this virus laying down their lives. Their lives have been completely disrupted. We should really be taking care of those folks. I saw an article about this guy who lives in a tent in his garage because he has to isolate from his family. How long is he going to live in a tent in his garage? Medical provider. So we see these things again, the tyrant, the deliverer, the feats of wonder, uh, a sacrifice to save, the lamb at Passover, being called the partner, God loving, uh, living with, with us again, and then this promised inheritance. And what is this promised inheritance? Well, as we get ready for communion, we can talk about what does a promised inheritance. We remember it every time, every week. So make sure you have your communion stuff ready. But as we get ready to this, let's think about this. What was the new covenant in Jeremiah that God promised that would be written on our hearts? And he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be their God and they will be my people. Is he our God? Are we his people? No longer will they teach uh, their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So Jesus Christ, what he thought he was doing, he thought he was bringing 
the new Exodus, and he did. And he brought us salvation. He brought the world salvation like they had never, ever experienced before. And we have that same opportunity to introduce people to our Savior. So every week we, we get together and we remember what he did for us. We remember this point on the cross. We remember that this was a, the new exodus, that he was fulfilling all of these prophecies. He was fulfilling. He was being obedient and saw and knew what the Father was asking him to do. So let's take this time together and take communion together, thinking about this salvation as a new exodus. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. We had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Let's remember him. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it and remember me. Let's remember him. Father, I thank you for this time. What a beautiful time for families to be together. Thank you for providing technology. Thank you for the chance for us to be able to experience time together, even though we're not physically together, but our hearts are together. We are connected as a body. Lord, I ask that you would be with every single person this week and guide them to special places in your text. Guide this families. The families would get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, Lord. I ask that you would just help families work well together, that we would see the best within each other, that we would get to know you better during this time. Lord, if this is a, a, a time out for us, let it be a fruitful time out. Let it be a time where we get to hear your voice well. Help us to walk with faith, to act generously and to love deeply, Lord. Let us be your people because you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.